Thank you so much for your practice. I'm feeling a lot of gratitude for anyone practicing in our beloved tradition. And I'm starting to understand. I mean, I have been practicing a pretty long time. I met the Dharma in 1982, back before mindfulness was a thing. And I think it has helped me in my life so much. You know, I think any success I've had in relationships or work or anything is absolutely based on the Dharma. So I am loving it. And I'm learning, you know, there's so much more to learn about it. You know, uh, reading what the Buddha taught and all of the wonderful um, enlightened beings and teachers since his time. I think um, uh, instructions about the Brahma Viharas, loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. A lot of that is actually found in the um, in the um, Buddhist psychology, the Abhidhamma, the Abhidhamma, which uh, this wonderful old monk Buddhaghosa, who lived in the fifth century, compiled a lot of what the Buddha taught about, you know, this incredibly complex human psychology, and uh, put a lot of that into the Abhidhamma which is where some of our greatest teachings about metta and the other Brahma Viharas come from. So um, today I, I wanna talk about uh, metta and the other Brahma Viharas, all of the Brahma Viharas, the four of them, as um, uh, forces of my partner just brought me a nice new tea. <laughs> That's compassion and loving kindness for you. But anyway, uh, to talk about uh, the Brahma Viharas and Metta as a, a um, form, an important and um, a, a, an important form of purification, uh, uh, purification of a lot of our negative mental uh, factors. You know, according to the um, Abhidhamma, again, which is uh, some people call the Buddhist psychology, there's only 52 mental factors that we have in our mind, uh, that we could have in this heart, mind, body of ours. And um, there's a lot of negative and unwholesome mental factors, probably many expressions of the three root poisons that we have in our life, you know, uh, root poison of greed, of um, aversion or hate, and of delusion, not understanding what's going on. And um, the four Brahma Viharas are excellent um, ways to, uh, you know, forces that we can build up as incredibly positive mental factors that will be the source of our own happiness and the happiness of those around us, our families and of everyone. And it uh, really, uh, and the stronger that these mental factors are, these positive mental factors of loving kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity, the more, um, 
you know, uh, those are the source of uh, the happiness for us and for those in our lives. And the more positive karma that we develop, you know, they're so important. So um, let me talk about um, the divine abodes as a set of practices. Um, it's interesting because um, supposedly before uh, the Buddha came around, before 2,600 years ago, there were um, Asian traditions, uh, particularly the Hindu tradition that practiced uh, divine abodes or talked about them. <clears throat> but uh, they talked about them as what, you know, a god or a higher power <clears throat> developed, you know, and that was one of the reasons that they were superior beings. But the Buddha totally flipped that on its head and said, yeah, those are divine abodes, but guess what? Those are divine abodes that humans can develop. You know, it was a way of, uh, you know, bringing heaven down to right now. And, you know, that's what uh, foundationally, uh, one of the most important aspects of our Buddhist practice is that we're not waiting for <clears throat> Uh, to die and go to heaven, or we're not waiting for um, some higher power to, um, you know, bring us happiness or help us, um, you know, get rid of all of our negativity or to fix our karma, that, you know, there are practices that we can do right now that determine our own happiness and well-being. And that's one of the most important parts, I think, of the Dhamma for us all to take in that our happiness and well-being really can't be determined by what's happening externally in our lives. And I think we all know that given, you know, the things that have happened in the, the past five years, the things that happened last summer, you know, knowing that there are there is so much greed, hatred, and delusion in our system, you know, in what's happening in uh, our country, the United States, and then, you know, just around the world, <clears throat> that greed and delusion are <clears throat> the source of a lot of pain for so many people. They are the source of the suffering. They are the source of the first noble truth, uh, the truth of um, dukkha, that there is dukkha. And uh, the divine abodes and practicing this uh, gives us multiple ways to um, develop well-being and happiness that is internal to us. And uh, so we can, um, you know, uh, depend on our own inner cultivation for our well-being and our happiness and not on you know, the very big amounts of greed, hatred, and delusion that are external. That's not to say that we are not doing social justice work to try to change that. Absolutely. I mean, that's another excellent advantage of um, <clears throat> cultivating the Brahmi Viharas is that, uh, you know, one of the biggest teachings is that this is not just a meditation practice. The Brahma Viharas are, and when we strengthen them by doing this practice, that's what shows up in every aspect of our lives. You know, when we are looking at the social environment and the family environment and, you know, our work environment, you know, that that's what shows up. 
And that is the most wholesome response to greed, hatred, and delusion anyway. So it is so important. So getting back to um, an investigation of what the suttas say. So um, the divine abodes as a set. Um, well, maybe I'll go back to a little bit uh, back to uh, how the Buddha really took this whole idea of heaven or happiness and took it out of the realm of um, uh, a godlike creature. And it's not that you can't believe in God and be a Buddhist. I mean, there are a lot of excellent Christian mindfulness practitioners and Dharma practitioners who have figured out a way to um, integrate that. So please don't think I'm saying that. But what the Buddha did when he um, started investigating through his own investigation, um, you know, where true happiness was, he realized that it can't be dependent on external conditions. In fact, you have to look internally. And we have to do the work internally for our well-being and our happiness and our sense of satisfaction. So, um, you know, that's one of the things that he did, that he taught us. Yes. So um, this is a quote from the Buddha. So here it is. Um, the Buddha details how the mind is freed by each of the four divine abodes. That is through the seven awakening factors of mindfulness, investigation, effort, zest, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. So um, what the Buddha talks about is that doing these uh, meditation factors, I mean, doing the um, training of the divine abodes, what that does is uh, it purifies a lot of our negative mental factors. Like I said, the many, many uh, manifestations of greed and aversion and delusion, but it also, um, you know, creates incredibly strong forces that are the forces of our happiness. And they are the forces of our own liberation as well. They are an important element of our own, um, a deeper understanding of what is happening in this life. And uh, uh, they are a, a really large force of us developing wisdom or having wisdom arise. And I like to say that, you know, we have two knowledge systems. I've probably said this a few times already, but we have our conceptual, count things, name things, knowledge system, which isn't all, you know, greed, hatred, and delusion. There's some very positive qualities in that as well. But that um, this practice of um, uh, metta and uh, saying the phrases over, uh, over and over and uh, actually feeling the sensations of metta and compassion and joy uh, are also um, uh, the um, proximal cause for the seven enlightenment factors to arise. And, um, you know, that was just what that quote was about. Uh, and those are, you know, uh, there's one enlightenment factor, of course, that balances them out, and that's mindfulness. 
And then there are three enlivening factors, which are um, investigation. And we know that when you know we're interested in something, when an investigation as a very wholesome mental factor arises, and that actually is a proximal cause for effort to arise. That when we are um, you know, feeling really interested in something, uh, effort arises all on its own. And when um, we're able to see uh, clearly what is happening through investigation and effort, that's where joy arises. Those are the three um, enlivening factors of um, the seven factors of awakening. And then uh, when we're happy and joy arises, when happiness and actually it's like a, a feeling of contentment, of satisfaction arises, that's what is a proximal cause for the beginning of the three calming enlightenment factors. Uh, and the first one is uh, tranquility or calm. When we're happy, we can see you know, that we're calm and not greedy or aversive, you know, we've actually uh, put away the hindrances. So calm and tranquility arises. And with uh, calm and tranquility, uh, that is a proximal cause for concentration or um, samadhi, clarity, uh, of the strength of our mindfulness to increase. And stronger mindfulness, uh, more concentration or samadhi, we're able to really see clearly all of the things that are arising in this heart, body, and mind. You know, we're able to see much more clearly and see, you know, our conditioned responses to life. And um, with that, with the clarity that we see, uh, we see all of the very wholesome mental qualities in us and all of the some of the not so mental qualities in us arise we're able to have equanimity because we realize that, you know, they too are not, you know, that's one of the manifestations of uh, the first noble truth, just the dukkha of life. And um, we're able to hold all of that with equanimity, knowing that, um, you know, what's inside of us and others, uh, we can work on it. We can bring up about our own happiness and our own sila or um, correct conduct. And we can let go of having the external world have to be a certain way. So I think I've probably repeated myself. Um, so getting back to um, the development of uh, metta and the other divine abodes. So uh, they are a set of four, four uh, qualities of the heart, you know, mental, body, and heart qualities. And, um, there's, uh, and uh, one way to understand them um, is that loving kindness comes first because loving kindness is in all of the four Brahma Viharas. And loving kindness, as we know, is... Um, is the quality of um, just being uh, absolutely friendly and welcoming and inclusive of everyone, regardless of what their, their own qualities are. And that includes ourselves. 
you know, when we, I know a lot of people have been talking about a lot of uh, self-hate. They're seeing a lot of uh, rejection of self and self-hate when they're doing the meta. And that's actually probably a good quality of doing the meta practice because we're retraining our heart and our mind to our uh, to accept ourselves just as we are and set positive intentions for ourselves but to accept ourselves uh just as we are and um that uh quality you know as we develop it in ourselves it will absolutely rub up against that part of ourselves uh, that we have self-hate and self-rejection and, uh, you know, don't think very kindly of ourselves. Some of that um, internalized self-hate or lack of self-respect or self-regard, you know, some of that might be from our own uh, diluted thinking, but a lot of that too is messages that we probably got you know, uh, within the culture that we were raised in. I think, um, you know, I do a fair amount of um, trauma research as an academic, and I can tell you that, you know, I've been studying historical trauma among Native people because of, you know, what happened during settler colonialism and since, but I hang around with a bunch of people who do trauma uh, response uh, and, you know, the highest, one of the greatest understandings of this type is that everyone has trauma. You know, the person born into the highest level of, uh, you know, wealth and privilege is born and absolutely uh, is subject to trauma in their lives. And I think that's just an excellent expression of what the Buddha taught, that conditioned existence, you know, having uh, things have the nature to arise and pass away uh, is a traumatic exposure. So uh, I think that we can all, you know, want to heal ourselves and decolonize all of these very negative ideas about being a woman, a person of color, a queer person, a trans person, a gender non-conforming person lot of negativity out there about old people right <laughs> and i know there's a lot of old people sitting in this retreat yeah there's a lot of negativity about being old i mean and it's crazy and uh i think that when we see a lot of that when we're doing this practice uh this that is just our meta our our strong intention to strengthen these beautiful qualities showing us what the opposite of them are and uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. In fact, I think that that can be a source of wisdom for us to know, you know, what are the dominant mental qualities that are arising as we react to our, our life, whether it's just ourselves, our immediate family, our larger community, or, you know, the world in general. So... So these four divine abodes, and uh, let me say this, that uh, whenever I'm doing long retreat, um, both, you know, teaching or practicing, it's not uncommon for me to have a day or two of sobbing meditation or stomping meditation. And, and that is particularly when we're doing body scans, a lot of that traumatic 
uh, first the trauma of the first noble truth and of all of these negative ideas about who we are, they absolutely get trapped in the body. And when we're doing body scans, you know, encouraging and uh, strengthening us, accepting and loving ourselves, you know, that trauma can get a lot more, uh, a lot more uh, easily for us to feel and see. And, uh, you know, we can hold that parts of our body, uh, the tension and, you know, where the pain is and send loving kindness to that, you know. Sometimes it'll, you know, I've heard of it, uh, you know, uh, doing our loving kindness body scans, feeling just incredible uh, tension and uh, pressure around the throat and around the neck. And, uh, you know, we can send loving kindness to that or, or compassion to that, you know, compassion. Like uh, for me, it would be something like, I know, Bonnie, all your life, you have felt like you couldn't express your true self or what was happening to you truth in the moment because you had to go along with how the man was, um, you know, living in, in this particular cultural and social dimension. And it could be that, you know, the tension in our throats is a sign of um, us shutting down the truth or our, even articulating the truth. And uh, with, um, you know, opening and um, changing from fear and trauma to love and acceptance, you know, that's when those stuck emotions can come out. And I love it that uh, one of um, uh, a Tibetan teacher, Ken McLeod, says that emotions need to be acknowledged and known to be let go of. So I think that this is, you know, it could be worth a half a year or a year or two of therapy when we do this. You know, we acknowledge the hidden emotions, either intergenerational ones, which we all have as well, or ones from our own lifetime. And uh, we know we just acknowledge them and hold ourselves with love and, um, and you know, acknowledge those emotions and let those trauma and those stuck parts of us uh, uh, go their own way. So, so uh, speak, thinking about the four um, different Brahma Viharas, uh, there is some suttas uh, that I think are really interesting that talk about the reason that loving kindness is first is because the uh, loving kindness is absolutely present in all four of the Brahma Viharas. And the way that I thought about it before I started re re reading the suttas was that this, um, this particular energetic field, this um, uh, mental factor of acceptance and unconditional friendliness, regardless of what is being presented to us, um, uh, that that uh, psychic force or energetic force changes depending on what, what we're looking at. So if we have this um, unconditional acceptance and love um, and we're looking at someone or ourselves and we're doing okay, it feels like metta or loving kindness. When, you know, if that force is strong in us, and uh, something happens to us uh, 
that we're hurting or that we need support or that we're uh, suffering um, more deeply or more obviously, or if uh, you know, we have loving kindness in ourselves and we're looking at uh, people in our family or an environment and they're needing our support because they're suffering, that same energetic mental factor turns into compassion because that is what's needed at the moment. And the same is true of joy, sympathetic joy. When uh, we are looking at someone in our life who something really good is happening to, uh, you know, we get the joy that is associated with how they're feeling. Oh, that is so wonderful. That's happening to you. And then uh, the same with equanimity that, you know, when we are looking at uh, something that is happening in our life that we would really like to change or that we think isn't necessarily the most wholesome approach to life, but we know that we uh, don't have a lot of control or ability to change the situation. That sense of absolute acceptance and love is there, but it's there with a sense of equanimity that, you know, I know I can't change this right now, but I still feel love and compassion and respect and, um, hold this event or this person or this community with, um, you know, with my own uh, metta, with loving kindness, with uh, absolute acceptance. And um, so that's one way to think about the divine abodes, that uh, the loving kindness, its particular strong, maybe strongest elements is the universality of it, is that it is not afforded only to people who uh, we think are wonderful or respectful, that it is afforded to everyone. It's afforded to everyone. And how do we afford it, you know? Actually, there are suttas about that too that are just really beautiful. So let me I tell you a little bit about that. So, um, one thing, um, so how do we afford, you know, the Brahma Viharas or mental loving kindness uh, to a negative subject, to someone that we know is not uh, very kind? Maybe it's some politicians that we've had some exposure to, or maybe it's someone who doesn't realize uh, just their greed or their hate or aversion. You know, we have, been, we have been exposed to a lot of that during this pandemic, I think. And how is it that we're able to uh, bring loving kindness to, um, to people? And, um, you know, it's important, and the suttas even say this, that um, uh, when we are sending loving kindness or compassion to them, it's not that we're uh, wanting the negative person to prosper or to do well. What we're wanting is uh, we're wanting for their pain or their wound or their incredibly strong uh, negative mental factors that we want that to be healed. You know, that's what we're sending them when we're holding people that we don't like or that we think are our enemies, when we're holding them with loving kindness and with uh, any of the other Brahma Viharas. 
um, you know, we're not supporting what we think their negative qualities are. We're actually even realizing the reason that they're like that is because of the trauma. You know, something must have happened to them in their lives that they're, you know, crazy greedy or crazy aversive or, you know, don't realize that we are all related, you know, and they don't realize that. And uh, because they have so much pain and so much delusion, uh, and that's what we're really hoping for them is that that part gets healed. But we feel that way uh, knowing that they are our relatives too. Excuse me for using this indigenous language, but that's how we, you know, that that's how we know it or feel about it, that we are all related. And, you know, I think that that is one deep understanding of awakening, you know, of uh, the enlightened uh, view, you know, maybe a non-dualistic view is that we are all related. You know, there is intimacy. There is no separation between us and um, all of our other sentient beings on the planet. So um, that's how we respond to the negative person. And, you know, that's also the love and care that we bring when we see the negative uh, parts of ourselves as well. You know, again, you know, during the practice interviews and, and uh, affinity groups, we've heard a lot. And, you know, I see this in myself, too, ways that I uh, hate myself or, you know, don't accept myself. And, um, you know, what we do is we bring our the strength of our practice and the strength of the meditation to that, too. And when I see that, you know, I, I like to do what the Buddha did right before he became totally enlightened, right? We know that story that the Buddha was about to become enlightened and Mara, you know, um, uh, probably with worse than conceit arose. They say conceit is the last fetter before full awakening. It arises and, you know, in the Buddha, conceit uh, Mara arose and said, who do you think you are to become enlightened? And, you know, the earth rose up and told uh, told Mara, he has been here many lifetimes and he absolutely is ready for total awakening. So what the Buddha did was he pointed his finger and he said, I see you, Mara. I see you, delusion. I see you, aversion. And we can do that, too. You know, when um, our mindfulness or when our awareness, our mindfulness is strong enough and, you know, these practices of, um, you know, metta and all of the Brahma Viharas, that's one of the biggest things that they do is they strengthen our mindfulness. And we can see Mara arising. We can see, uh, you know, unwholesome mental qualities or thoughts and emotions arising. You know, what I do sometimes is, I say, I see you settler, <laughs> you know, as in settler colonialism, but <laughs> um, also, you know, the settlers were our, our relatives too, you know, so we don't want to necessarily kick anybody out of the family because everyone is in the family. So that is, um, you know, um, one way that we, uh, can use our metta and all of our 
uh, divine abodes is to um, is to cultivate uh, loving kindness and for ourselves and for others as well. So, and you know, it's so interesting that all of these directions are actually in the suttas about how we do this. I'm in a pretty advanced psychology for 2,600 years ago for knowing that, um, you know, uh, and, and then the other thing that is really important in the um, suttas regarding all of these unwholesome mental qualities of self-hate or aversion or greed, you know, thinking that looking like this or having this is the source of my happiness. Um, you know, another important aspect of that is um, being able to, uh, using the metta and using, you know, the repetitiveness or, um, you know, coming back and again and again to that, to strengthening uh, our vision to be able to see that clearly. So overcoming those and seeing all of those negative mental qualities in us, we have to be able to see them. Sometimes, you know, they don't go away right away, but we see them when they arise and we don't have to believe them and act on them. And that's another important uh, teaching of of uh, the Brahma Viharas and the clarity that, that they bring is that, you know, we shouldn't believe probably most of what we're thinking, you know, because uh, thinking uh, without a lot of, uh, a lot of cultivation of positive mental qualities, our thinking, uh, we think that it is us, but it's really just an expression of the greed, hatred and delusion in the, um, you know, in, in our individual lives, our family lives, the cultures that we live in, the societies that we live in, you know, um, we're told that we're this and we should be that, and we believe it. And, um, you know, that's another excellent, um, you know, Buddhist psychology uh, message from the suttas is that we shouldn't believe most of what we're thinking unless we know we have a lot of uh, strong clarity and mindfulness to be able to see clearly what we're thinking. Or uh, unless, you know, after having cultivated these beautiful mental qualities, we see that that is what is ari arising. So, um, and, you know, there's a lot of um, suttas also about how to bring the four Brahma Viharas uh, and that they are practices, not just for the cushion, that they are practices for all of the four postures of, um, you know, sitting, standing, lying down and walking, that uh, these are practices for daily life as much as they are practices for, um, for the meditation cushion. Let me see. So that is some ways that we deal with the negative subject as it arises, whether that negative subject is ourself or other people, you know, we want to look more clearly and, you know, wish clarity and love and healing for the people who are acting crazy like that. You know, they're acting crazy and we wish that they would uh, bring wisdom and love and healing to them. That is, and to ourselves as well. And then, 
So how do we bring that um, into uh, daily practice? Um, I'm going to talk about that, you know, probably later on in the retreat, but we can um, think about um, and how actually the Brahma Viharas change when we bring it to uh, daily practice. Uh, how do we bring it to practice uh, for ourselves on the cushion, how we're thinking about ourselves and in our daily walk of life as well. So we're dealing with someone who is um, having a difficult time. Uh, what we can do is, uh, you know, like I said, we're not, uh, you know, wishing the best for people. What we're wishing is, and what our loving kindness does when we're looking at somebody who is suffering, it actually allows us to think more broadly about what's happening with that person or with ourselves. You know, it could be any situation where we're seeing duh or suffering arise. Uh, when our, our mindfulness, uh, our loving kindness is stronger, it uh, actually, um, it promotes us looking more generally like, why is this person feeling this way? Or what is the person not saying that might be uh, a wholesome response? Or, you know, what's really going on with this person? So uh, it allows us to uh, bring um, better qualities to the situation, you know, better emotions and uh, intentions. And it lets us hold a situation with a lot more grace and, um, you know, and compassion or whatever is needed in the situation. And then, um, you know, when we're looking at someone who is doing really well, you know, something really good is happening. We know that, you know, the um, mental factor or the poison of aversion, you know, usually could arise and have us, well, why didn't that happen to me? And why does that get to happen to them? Uh, and actually, you know, if we have developed strong uh, loving kindness, uh, that might be uh, the potential for joy to arise. Like, oh, I'm so happy that that, great thing happened to that person. And I've actually felt that. I mean, when some of my dear beloved colleagues get huge grants to try to end suffering, that's what they all do. I can feel as much joy in their success to end suffering as they do. I mean, I've actually absolutely felt that. And then, um, you know, again, knowing that the, um, you know, seeing a situation very clearly with strong mindfulness and knowing that we can't do anything, it actually is the um, impetus or it is the uh, condition for equanimity to arise for us to want the best, but to be able to step back and not be negatively impacted by that. Because we all know, or, you know, we're learning that our well-being and our happiness can't be dependent on what's happening outside. It has to be developed internally. So, you know, that is, you know, justification or how uh, these Brahma Viharas or mental factors can work in our Eightfold Path because um, they're also uh, purification practices and they're purification by, you know, weakening the, um, you know, like I said, the manifestations of greed and aversion and delusion. Um, and they, um, they're also, 
so that's one way that they are purifying. They are the um, basis for our sila in our life, for us actually having correct action and having correct responses to a lot of the negativity and dukkha that we see in the world. So, uh, you know, loving kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity is the source of our sila, our, 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 our authentic sila in life. And we know that is right action, you know, um, uh, when our Brahma Viharas are very strong, uh, we are much more inclined to practice the precepts and follow the precepts. You know, that's what is dominant in us. And so we know what right action is, uh, you know, uh, and we keep the precepts of not stealing or, um, you know, being involved with intoxicants, uh, you know, um, and um, uh, also right speech, you know, when our uh, loving kindness and the other Brahma Viharas are very strong, it absolutely is a guide for our speech. And, you know, we know right speech is, um, you know, not telling lies, of course, but it's also having good timing for when you even tell the truth. And I think having loving kindness is the proximal cause for that to arise of not wanting to hurt anybody, right? So um, the Brahma Viharas are the proximal cause for right speech and a right livelihood, wanting to do something, you know, uh, good in life. I feel so incredibly um, happy that, you know, I'm a professor of public health and social work. So I get to do social justice for a living. And I am, I can't believe how lucky I am that it works out like that. And I think that, um, you know, that absolutely uh, strengthens my loving kindness and my compassion. Uh, and it fuels me wanting to work, you know, wanting to do work that eases people's suffering and gets rid of racism and sexism and ageism and uh, gender inequality and, um, you know, hate towards uh, non-gender binary peeps and our queer relatives. You know, all of that is a wonderful um, motivation for work that we do. So that is how um, uh, the Brahma Viharas are an excellent foundation for sila, for right conduct in life. How are the four Brahma Viharas, uh, how are they connected to samadhi? You know, the other three, um, the next three uh, of the eight path factors, which are right mindfulness, right concentration and right effort. And, you know, the suttas say, and this has been my experience, that practicing the Brahma Viharas in this way are one of the easiest ways for uh, concentration uh, and um, equanimity, uh, for concentration and um, mindfulness and uh, right effort to arise. They are the source of those things to arise. You know, when you are able to calm your mind with um, either repeat, uh, you know, repeating the phrases or just feeling what loving kindness feels like in your body. And when, you know, we uh, do it by sending it out to others, to all sentient beings, um, that actually 
uh, quiets our mind and it stills our mind and it uh, increases the strength of our mindfulness. And when our mindfulness is strong, all of those things that are arising, all of those negative mental qualities that have been conditioned into us just by the nature of the world, you know, we realize that they're not as personal as we think we are. We see them as objective realities and realize uh, that, you know, we are among a huge uh, family of people who also have this. And we realize that this isn't personal to us. This is personal to being born into the human realm. You know, this is what happens when we are reborn without, you know, a lot of positive mental qualities, or we are reborn, uh, not on solidly on the path of awakening that. Um, so we're able to see that very clearly. Uh, so practice and just being still and doing uh, either pervading ourselves with the feeling of love and acceptance and compassion and joy and equanimity, um, you know, that is a huge factor in strengthening our mindfulness for us to see clearly. Yes. And so the, uh, another way that um, the Brahma Viharas um, manifest as this um, uh, Samadhi is through um, is through being uh, producing the seven enlightenment factors. I talked about that in the beginning, but it's said in the suttas that there is a big connection between the Brahma Viharas and the seven factors of awakening. And um, you know, I've gone on retreats where we would do uh, compassion practice and then uh, notice the seven factors of awakening. And then actually go into uh, looking at the jhanas or, you know, the jhanas are one way that we can think about um, how mindfulness and uh, our, um, our uh, factors of mindfulness and uh, wisdom get strengthened. Yeah. So, and, you know, within the jhanas, the, um, uh, the, um, divine abodes are actually one element of the jhanas uh, and the jhanas you know there's eight of them there's four material jhanas and four immaterial jhanas and the first jhana is um you know is is um seclusion but it's a uh, seclusion from unwholesome states it's some a seclusion from the five hindrances and that's one thing that the brahma viharas offer to us when we use it as a meditation practice it really um uh you know gets rid of i don't want us to get rid of but it uh you know if we're abiding in loving kindness the five hindrances can't arise they you know the two can't go together so it really does uh, decrease how the hindrances uh um are you know manifest in our practice so and you know a pt rapture and sukha pleasure um uh, uh arise in the first you know uh, kind of not so strong elements of that 
but that is uh, a result of right effort. So it really strengthens effort. When we're feeling that, when we can feel that internal PT that's not based on eating an ice cream or whatever, when we feel that sukha, it absolutely includes, uh, increases our effort of wanting to practice like, wow, this is really cool. Let's do this some more. And with that effort, you know, the next, uh, you know, the second jhana can arise, which is um, um, the second jhana is, well, that's when um, actually sukha arises, PT or physical happiness arises uh, more strongly. And then the third, uh, and from that, you know, that also strengthens the seven enlightenment factors and uh, we go to um, sukha, which is just an internal sense of happiness that's not based on anything, but um, you know what is happening in our heart and mind and body. You know, sukha is such a wonderful, and I've been experiencing a lot of sukha on this retreat. So I want to thank you all for providing the opportunity for that. And then from sukha, you know, once we rest in sukha and see that very clearly with strong mindfulness, because you know, these jhana factors are showing how strong uh, and clear our vision of what's happening is, you know, that's one of the characteristics of it. And then uh, the fourth uh, jhana arises, which is equanimity, you know, a sense of, um, you know, a very strong sense of pleasant sensation will decrease, but a sense of, uh, of equanimity, of being able to accept and seeing our ability to accept everything that is arising without a lot of attachment to it. You know, we see all of the negative and beautiful qualities in ourselves that are arise in ourselves and in others. And we realize, you know, this is personal. This is a manifestation of the first noble truth and of, um, you know, the dukkha of life. And, you know, we know that it's impermanent, so we watch for how it changes. And um, we realize, I think, most of all, that it's not personal. This isn't Bonnie's greed, hatred, and delusion. Though Bonnie does have some, and she's working on it. <laughs> uh, this is how it manifests in all humans and all beings, probably. Uh, I have a new puppy, a rescue from Mexico, and she can be pretty greedy sometimes. <laughs> so I think that all of these mental qualities, love, you know, lo loving kindness and love and um, generosity uh, can arise in all sentient beings, not just humans. So that is one way that uh, our practice uh, does two types of purification. It purifies our actions through really supporting the development of strong sila, and it really supports uh, our purification of mind by seeing all these negative, uh, the strength of the negative uh, mental factors that we have, and it, you know, overrides them with us strengthening the very, very positive ones. And, you know, again, it purifies um, our path by, um, by being, uh, by bringing us to the seven factors of awakening 
And from there, you know, going on to higher levels of understanding, realizing, you know, realizing our interconnectedness, that we are all relatives and that we all are traumatized and we all deserve our love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. I feel like that was a bit of a, um, you know, I'm usually thinking that I'm very linear in how I give talks. And that talk, I think, was a little bit less linear than usual, but it felt like a real expression of, um, you know, my delight in learning uh, more things about how important the Brahma Viharas are, how they are absolutely part of our path of purification and uh, contributing to sila and samadhi. And then of course, to panya, you know, when we have a clear vision, when our mindfulness is very strong and when, you know, we're feeling love and connectedness with everyone, um, you know, that is the condition for wisdom to arise, for us to understand, you know, how we are acting and, you know, how we want to uh, train ourselves and be with others who are also training and uh, in order to advance our own well-being and the well-being of all of our relations. So it's amazing how much this practice is good, not only for, um, you know, developing positive, wholesome uh, responses to life, but for our own clarity of vision and for our own potential wisdom as well. It contributes to uh, panya as well, right view and right thought, you know, because it conditions wholesome thoughts and it lets us see very clearly when our view is not right. So uh, I think actually after reading all of this, I'm going to try to do little thing on the side that it's really and can be an essential element of the Eightfold Path of um, Sila, Samadhi, and Panya. So thank you.